Hello and welcome to the Ask Dr. Ben podcast. I'm your host, Ben Johnson. As a holistic-minded physician, I've spent the last 20 years looking outside the box and conducting research to find the true causes of skin conditions and other diseases. And while the focus of my work has been on aesthetic medicine and unlocking the secrets to reversing skin damage, this podcast will also include many other exciting revelations pertaining to you and your family's health and well-being. So let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another podcast. I'm your host, Ask Dr. Ben Johnson, and so excited to be finishing up on a list that is a must-know list for all of you who are looking to stay beautiful and continue to help your skin thrive from the inside and out, and uh, it really involves not making some poor decisions. So we, in the first part of this two-part series, we were discussing things that you absolutely should not do. And we were picking sometimes things that seemed somewhat benign, right? Not too bad. Like, how could a scrub be so bad? But part of the reason it makes the list is because it's so common and it's so commonly misunderstood. So we're going to jump right in with the top five. Now we're up to number five on the list. Just to recap, last week we talked about number 10, steroids. Number nine, scrubs and exfoliating activities. Number eight, retinols, plain retinols, like retinol, cis-retinol, trans-retinol, retinol, palmitate retinol, acetate, and retinoic acid all being bad. We talked about number seven, alpha-hydroxy acids and Jesner peels and this concept of burning the skin once a month as somehow being rejuvenating. We talked about number six, jumping into the big boy peels with TCA and phenol and why that can get increasingly dangerous. And so as we get to this number five list, again, I am highlighting the things that I've learned having owned eight clinics in my early days as a physician, having formulated now two skincare companies and knowing all the ingredients and strategies that are going there. And this just spending so much time with many of you getting to understand how the skin works, what we need to do to get it right. And I can tell you, Mike, we are just knocking it out of the park with our results right now. So excited that you're following along because I know you're going to be loving the results as well. But in order to get great results, you have to avoid the big nasties. The big nasties are in this top five list. So at number five, drum roll, IPLs. IPLs. So I know IPL very well. I had uh, 15 IPL machines and sometimes people will call them lasers. It's it's not quite accurate, right? Because lasers actually defining a specific wavelength and IPLs put out a range of wavelengths. But these wavelengths are meant to kind of catch all depths of redness or all depths of pigmentation because you're going to cook. Everything you're doing with intense pulse light and with laser for that matter has to do with finding the right chromophores. So what you're targeting, there's wavelengths are drawn to specific colors and there's different peaks. What do I, what is it? Six... 690 is the brown peak and it's like 530 is the red peak. So like these, you want to find wavelengths in those peak ranges. So what that does is the heat is drawn to that color. That color vibrates at a very rapid pace because it's being targeted by this 
intense wattage of light and the net result is that it cooks. So you end up cooking pigments. So the selling pitch on IPL and, and the reason why IPL is top five is because it is so common. It is one of the most common procedures. Now, there's a couple things to say about IPL because I just had a, a point in my own head. Like <laughs> sometimes I make arguments in my own head while I'm talking to you. Not always the best thing to do when you're making a podcast. But yeah, so I used IPL primarily in my practice for laser hair removal. And it is a commonly used form of laser hair removal. And I would say to you that it's a pretty good one for that purpose. And I was just talking to someone recently about hair removal and it's like, I haven't seen hair removal create a significant amount of aging. So I'm not really too anti hair removal when it comes to situations like, uh, you know, if we're talking about on the face, electrolysis has a higher risk of scarring. If we're talking about underarms and bikini lines, like the success of hair removal is really high. Like it's amazing how well the hair stays away. Even on the legs, you can get really long-term good results on the face, less so, you know, on the torso, you know, for men doing their chest, um, it gets a little chemo looking, you know, real patchy and, and it's a process like even doing it on the face, it can be very patchy and look very bizarre. If someone's got facial hair coming in and just little patches here and there. Also forearms, forearms are challenging, but anyway, I don't want to digress too much. I got to get through this list, but I just wanted to say IPL for hair removal. I'm not really including in this. I'm talking about IPL facials. And the reason why I don't like IPL facials is because they do target red and they do target brown. And while the brown can be fine, in other words, if I have a collection of brown pigment in my epidermis, which is where it collects almost exclusively. So if I have this collection of brown in my epidermis and I cook it with an IPL, it's going to sort of rip it away from its structural where it's being held within the epidermis and allow it to sort of peel up and out the skin. So you get this nice, even skin tone uh, post IPL. I get why that is appealing to people. And then when it comes to redness, you might have all these little capillaries or bits of redness here or there, and you do a pass with the IPL, and some of those capillaries might disappear right then and there, and some of the redness over time with repeated applications might disappear a little bit. And you're like, hey, I, I don't understand what's bad here. Redness is bad. Redness means I have a wound, and clearly this IPL must be helping my wound. Well, therein lies the misunderstanding. What an IPL does is it collapses microvasculature. So your skin, as you've probably heard me say, I hope you have, because this is one of the big reasons why your skin ages. Your skin ages because it loses circulation. Your skin declines in its performance and its collagen manufacturing and its epidermal turnover rate and its wound repair capacity. And it's just general ability to nourish itself and keep itself going at a high rate. All of that declines because your circulation declines. And that's about 1% a year starting, let's say at 25. So I often point out like at 50 years old, you have 25% less circulation going through your skin. So if I go in for regular visits to shut down my blood vessels, I'm aging my skin. I don't like it. I think it's a bad practice. I don't think it's something that people should 
be doing regularly. I mean, I think if you do one IPL, don't don't fret about it. I'm not here to shame people or make them feel guilty. Or It's, it's also about where do you invest your anti-aging dollars? And the funny thing about IPL is I remember when it shifted from hair removal to rejuvenation, first came out with all the claims in the world. Oh, it stimulates collagen. It thickens the dermis. Da, 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 da. And boy, those disappeared fast. They disappeared very fast and they no longer made any claims about collagen. I don't think it would make more collagen because of the blood vessel issue, but it's possible that if you cooked the epidermis enough and it shed, you might trigger some increased collagen activity by measurement. But again, it's a confusing measurement because it's what you're measuring is that first 48, 72 hours after you burn the bejesus out of your skin. Yes, you're going to see increased collagen production. This is why the studies are so confusing. This is why they can sit in front of a, a room of 100 dermatologists and throw the slides up and they all nod their head like, hmm, more collagen, good. But in reality, it's about net collagen. It's about, well, where are you stealing the collagen from to increase the collagen to the epidermis? And why the heck would I want more epidermal collagen when that stuff's going to shed off? I'm doing so good. I wanted to drop a couple of swear words in there and I actually held off and used the right appropriate words. I'm so proud of myself right now. Okay. So that's why I don't like IPL. I don't like how often they do it. I don't like they sell it like it's a rejuvenation process. Like I get the even skin tone part. I get it. There are better ways to do that. Stop collapsing your blood vessels. That is what IPL does. Now, last thing I'll say on that is, yes, your skin does replace a lot of them. Like when you start shutting things down, your skin is going to do its best to recover. However, it's never back to 100%. So let's say with each pass of IPL, you collapse a thousand micro blood vessels. 900 of those are going to come back over the next month maybe even over the next few weeks. I mean, neoangiogenesis or the process of new blood vessel formation is freaking amazing. Like I, I just am in awe of the network and reopening up the pathways and the, in the instant sort of response to trauma. Like you'll see new, you know, we talked last week about TCA peel causing wounds that cause telangiectasias and you have those showing up within days of being burning your skin. That's amazing to me that the skin's like, this is a wound we're going to need extra help with. Let's put those extra blood vessel supply right there. I just find that all phenomenal. So yeah, you don't want to shut it down. It's not going to all come back. You know, let's make the better choices. Okay. Too many minutes on that. Maybe number four, retinoic acid. Retinoic acid. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face because I'm teaching or talking on a podcast and you can't tell how blue I am, but I'm telling you that retinoic acid is one of the most misunderstood substances on the planet because it is by far the most potent, not by far actually, because retinaldehyde is right next, right there, <laughs> but it is definitely the top collagen stimulator in your skin. And that is such a confusing thing to say, because if you just stop there and go, well, then it's I want to drink it. I want to eat it. I want to, I want to bathe in it, right? Because uh, collagen is the key to the success of wrinkles. Well, not so fast. Fat pads are really a huge part of this story, but they're not for this podcast. So we'll pass that one over. But yes, so retinoic acid is the most powerful collagen stimulating molecule with retinaldehyde, we'll say a close second. 
in the research, they had equal levels of collagen stimulation. I can explain that. And that simply comes down to the fact that if I put enough retinaldehyde in your skin, your skin will convert as many retinoic acid transactions as it can. In other words, you only have so many fibroblasts making collagen in your dermis. They only have so many receptors on them. So the skin is never going to make more retinoic acid than it has receptors. It's too smart for that. So if I put retinoic acid in, in a big bolus and an overdose, then I'll probably max out all my retinoic acid receptors. If I put a huge bolus of retinaldehyde into my skin, then I'll probably convert as many as I possibly can into retinoic acid for the same reason, because the presence of retinaldehyde free floating appears, according to the research, to trigger the conversion to retinoic acid. Remember, the steps to make retinoic acid, it's only one step with retinaldehyde. That is why retinaldehyde is so amazing, because it's the tool the skin uses to make retin-A. And you say, but why isn't it just Retin-A all the time? It doesn't store Retin-A. That's why Retin-A is bad. It's not stored. So when you give too much Retin-A to your skin, your skin doesn't know what to do with it. It literally is floating around in places it shouldn't be. So you're over here in new wound section, okay? And in the new wound section, the first thing your skin wants to do is tear down the damaged collagen. But in the presence of Retin-A, the message is confusing because Retin-A says, don't tear down, build up. But that means your skin won't tear down that molecule, the damaged molecule that needs to go. It's like you're going into a crumbling building and they're like, well, put up new foundation beams over there, but leave the crumbling foundation beams over here. What's going to happen to that building? Part of it's going to collapse. That's what's happening in your skin. That's why Retin-A increases thinning of the dermis by 18% after one year's use and up to 30% after five years use. Five years of Retin-A, 30% thinning of your papillary dermis. That is one of the key aspects of the wrinkle formation right there. And it gets confusing because Retin-A will uh, so badly damage your epidermis, it actually stops your your keratinocytes from becoming corneocytes on the surface. Like it actually arrests the natural formation of a healthy barrier. It causes all kinds of free radical damage. It causes DNA damage. It exfoliates your barrier. So it increases your sun sensitivity and dehydrates you. But oh, it's okay because if you keep applying it to your skin, the doctor kindly reminds you that the redness gets less and less over time. Why is that? Because you're beating your skin into submission. Your skin is adapting to the new toxic environment. It's not thriving. It's adapting. It's crying. It's crying on your pillow every night when you apply it. So retinoic acid, bad. Not for any part of your daily routine. Let your body make it. Feed your skin retinaldehyde because if I give too much retinaldehyde to your skin, it will store what it doesn't use. If I give too much retin-A to your skin, it will just keep causing harm. And of course, retin-A in the form of isotretinoin in the form of Accutane poison to almost every organ, right? So again, Retin-A is not a molecule to take lightly. You let your body be in control of the manufacturing of it. You encourage as much as you can. And the only safe way to do that is retinaldehyde. There you have it. Okay. Number three, number three on the list, filler. 
filler, hyaluronic acid primarily. There's probably some new substances come up. I, I don't keep too speed on all the new fillers because they're all kind of the same. Some of them tell marketing stories of how they cause collagen formation or create a, a network to form collagen. That's a BS marketing story. There is no net gain to filler. The only positive thing you could say to filler, which is also a huge negative, is in a lot of cases it doesn't even go away. It's there 10 years later. There's a plastic surgeon out of Australia that did MRIs on people's faces and they found little balls of filler scar tissue floating around, free floating in their face. So now I'll share with you my story. I had, I just became aware of fat pad atrophy literally a year and a half ago. And now I have the total solution for it. Our recovery is unbelievable. Like the before and afters are going to start coming out. You guys are just going to be just amazed. If you're not already sitting in your face right now, cause you're on it recovery replaces your fat pads in your face that are lost that atrophy over time. It's so incredible, but people are using filler as the alternative. So before I realized I could make a product that fixes fat pads before I even realized that fat pads were part of what I was seeing on my face, you know, that I, I didn't like, I was like, what's happening with my skin? Because I knew my collagen layers were good. It was still, uh, my wrinkles were still there. And I still have some wrinkles. I'm not saying I've completely eradicated wrinkles at age 53. But what I'm saying is I can make a huge reversal of what had been lost through fat pad and through collagen rebuilding through the osmosis strategy. But what filler has done is it's ruined America. And I really believe this. Like I'm looking around and I, I mean, every face I know, I will look at a newscaster and watch the progression. Like you should look at the before and afters of some of your favorite newscasters and you'll see the progression where they have this lovely structure, uh, defined cheekbones and facial I don't even know. They're like the, the undulations of the natural beauty of each person's individualized face. Like they, they're there for a reason. They're, they're so appreciated. You know, when we talk about what people find beautiful, that, that is one of the most beautiful aspects of the face is each person's unique bone structure and how, you know, the cheekbones roll into the cheeks and, and how the, the nose shapes roll up into that cheekbone and the jawline and all that. Okay. So what happens with the filler is it just becomes one big uniform blob, one big blob of bleh, like smooth. Okay. Everyone gets all excited. Oh, I, I added an inch to my face. So now I have to like make sure to extend my arms as I'm pushing open a door because I don't want my cheeks to hit the door before my hands do. It's bad people. I'm telling you it's bad. Like people have lost their minds. The same thing happened with breast augmentation. When breast augmentation started to become big, especially in the celebrity community, all these young girls were like, I want to look like her. And her was unfortunately a woman with a body fat of 10% who had a couple of sacks stuck on her chest cavity and it completely looked fake. And yes, I'm sorry if you still are attached to this look. I just personally prefer a more natural look. But the plastic surgeons would tell you, everyone came in saying, I want that bag on the chest look. Mm -mm -mm. Well, that's what's happening with filler. Everybody is filling their face up because they're like, God help us if we have a wrinkle, but who needs, I don't know, real beauty anymore. Like I'm telling you, people don't look the same and it's lumpy in reality. Like there's a ton of photo editing happening that people don't realize. And so my personal story was I tried it. I didn't do a whole lot. I did it in my eye region and I still today in my left eye have this ball of, of filler 
crap that circulates around. And so some mornings I wake up and my left eye is swollen. Why? Because that ball of filler tissue has nestled its way right above my orbital rim. And I literally have to like shove it in and underneath my eye socket and and then, of course, there's a bit of inflammation with it. Because, by the way, this stuff is not natural. Your body doesn't look at it as natural. That's why it becomes a ball. Is your body's literally isolating it off. And that's why these people who do filler, the only way to really do filler movie star style is to invest thousands of dollars a month to continually keep layering it in to try to hide the fact that it becomes super uneven and ball-like and lumpy and frustrating and manipulatable. And, you know, maybe my filler artist wasn't as artistic as the Hollywood elite's pros. That's possible. But I look at the Hollywood elite and all I can tell you is occasionally they nail it, right? Occasionally somebody has the perfect amount of filler and you're like, wow, they definitely look better. But nine times out of 10, they just look like a big blah face. Like there's no more definition. There's no more uniqueness. Everyone looks the freaking same. Everybody has these big rounded cheeks starting like inside the eye going all the way across. Like it just no people. So is it a strategy I'm telling you is harmful and was progressing your aging? No, you're going to start chasing this and you're going to end up finding that like, well, one of the classic examples is people fill their lips up and they're like, oh, I fill up my lip. First of all, it looks usually like duck lip and never, almost never looks good. And then it migrates towards the nose. And so they had to fill their lip up again. And then that migrates towards the nose. And the next thing you know, they have this big fat upper lip of filler that they have to get injected with hyaluronidase, the thing that breaks filler down. It's nuts. Okay. It's nuts. I'm telling you, filler is not precise. It migrates it's a scar tissue like substance and it can take a decade to go away. Like it can take forever for your body to break it down. And you don't want to be using hyaluronidase because your skin does have hyaluronic acid in it. It is an important part. You know, the glycosaminoglycan family is an important part of the volume density of your dermis. You don't want to be injecting a bunch of enzymes that break that down, you can thin your skin by doing that. Like, I don't even know uh, what the studies say on that. If there are any studies of, well, when you use hyaluronidase, they're more likely to see dermal atrophy in that region. That would scare me. And I would think it's a possibility. So filler, try not to do it. Trust me when I say osmosis recovery, refill your fat pads in a targeted way. Only the stuff that's lost. Keep your natural beauty. No, it doesn't make your face fat. No, it doesn't add to the subcutaneous fat. So you look like you gain 10 pounds. It literally adds to the structural fat. That is what you lose as you age and only that. And it's amazing. And I just encourage you to stay away from fillers. There's so many people who regret fillers. There's so many people who are like, Oh, that's the only thing that makes my wrinkles look better. Well, that's because they are using lasers and traumatic peels to keep their skin young. And I promise you this holistic medical strategy, such an amazing way to do age reversal. Okay. That's filler. Try to stay away. And by the way, all these marketing campaigns of people say, Oh, we have a topical rub in filler. BS, BS marketing. None of that's true. All right. We're on our way to number two, number two, one of my favorite things to hate. I've been hating it for a decade. 
I swear I thought there would be a class action lawsuit by now. I'm not calling for one. I so appreciate now how you have to be so careful because ultimately this substance does have a level of popularity that is almost mind-boggling, and that is Botox. Botulinum toxin. When I say Botox, I'm referring to botulinum toxin. I'm not trying to represent a particular brand. I'm not calling out a particular company. I'm talking about the poison itself and why you would not want to poison your face if you can help it. Now, as a physician, uh, back in my days when I was doing PM&R residency, I would inject the muscles of cerebral palsy children who had spasms and it helped them to hold things better if it was in their hands or it might help them to walk better if you could take away, you know, the muscle activation that was firing and keeping them from, you know, having reasonable gait, essentially. So it's amazing uses for Botox. It's still going to likely get into the bloodstream. It's still likely to get into the lymphatics and it's still going to find its way to some nerves somewhere. But in theory, putting it in your hand or in your leg or foot is a whole lot safer than putting it in your face right next to your brain. It's not a good idea. And it's so amazing to me how few doctors know about and how even fewer patients know about the study that was done out of the UK that showed Botox, when injected, goes to your brainstem. It absolutely goes to your brainstem. They proved it in the clinical research, and that should give you some pause. That could eventually lead to swallowing difficulties. It could lead to tremors. And I personally believe that there is a growing incidence of mild head tremors. And I don't have any evidence to support this. This is, you know, this isn't like based on a study. This is just my own anecdotal sort of viewpoint of it. But I believe that when you continually do Botox in an, over a period of, say, a decade, you get to a level of neurologic damage where you might start seeing a little bit of a tremor, a little head tremor. I don't know if you might even see some swallowing difficulties. And uh, no one's going to chalk it up to Botox. They're all going to say, oh, you have a slight neurologic condition. Go see a neurologist. But I want you thinking about it because I want you thinking about why you shouldn't do it. Because the other epidemic that's happening right now, and it's mind-bogglingly crazy, is the prevention of wrinkle Botox usage. What? Yes, 20-somethings choosing to put Botox into their muscles in an effort to prevent wrinkles in the future. And they have no idea. Someone, no one's telling them they didn't get to my podcast yet. Hello, young people. If you're here today, please stop doing Botox because what Botox actually does is it causes muscle atrophy. And one of the main problems with aging face is atrophy. Volume loss is why your face sags and your nasolabial folds increase and you look more gaunt and your lip lines magnify and your jowls enlarge and your forehead collapses over your eyes. All of those those things are exacerbated by the use of Botox because the volume of your facial muscle is a huge part of the volume of your face. In other words, your skin is a covering, a layering over a bunch of different things that give it volume. 
one of the most important things to give your face volume is your muscle. And it, it, there's two points to it because it also holds your face up. Like your face muscle is literally what is holding your face up from sagging and falling off, right? And so I remember a quote from Stevie Nicks where she said, oh my God, Botox ruined me. Every time I laugh or sneeze, I feel my forehead collapse over my eyes and I have to pull it back. I don't know how much she was exaggerating. I haven't seen her lately, but it wouldn't surprise me because when you weaken the muscles over and over again, they die. Botox is a killer of muscle. It's not a, it's not a, a temporary weakener of muscle. It's a killer of muscle. And the wrinkle between your eyes and the wrinkle on your forehead is 80% caused by fat pads. The muscles aren't overreacting. Yes, it's true that the more, you know, if you're somebody who's a frowner and the more your, your muscles uh, pull your brows together, you could see a deeper divot in between them. Um, but the deeper divot is more about how the fat pad volume's gone. So the muscles are now reflecting this pinch of your dermal matrix more completely. But if you had the fat pad, you wouldn't see it. And so it's not perfect. Like recovery doesn't fix your 11s, probably 100%. We'd go for 80% recovery of that. But it definitely is the choice over putting a toxin that is neurologic toxin right next to your brain into the bloodstream right there. And so that seems nuts to me. So you, this volume loss is critical. You don't get it back. You're just poisoning your muscles to death. Your face starts sagging more. Your wrinkles become more pronounced and all you can think is, oh, I guess I need to do Botox in more parts of my face. And that is the mistake you make. So the last thing I'm going to say on that is that, and it's ridiculously expensive. What a waste of dollars to do that. Okay. Final piece as I wrap this uh, thing up. Here we go. Number one problem lasers, lasers. They're so common. Everyone is convinced that lasers create collagen. They think of the heat like a tightening, like, like I take a wet t-shirt, a wet and cotton shirt, and I throw it in the dryer and that heat gets it all tight or my jeans get tight from that heat. And yes, your skin gets tight, but it gets cut tight from the wounding of it. So really what the problem is that you wounded the skin in such a significant way. There's fluid as it's doing its emergency burn response. And yeah, you burned a bunch of good collagen. And I guess the, the idea, I think people have come, become convinced that their face is full of a bunch of damaged collagen, even though your whole skin is designed to replace damaged collagen 24 uh, seven. Somehow it, we, we've come to this conclusion that we just have a whole bunch of damaged collagen and all we need to do is burn it all away. And then new collagen comes in, or they focus on this idea that when I burn the skin and I measure collagen production, I see an increase. And if it's 25 or 30% increase in collagen, oh my gosh, it must be rejuvenating. No, no. These lasers are super dangerous. And you know, you get into this fraxel stuff where now you're doing these isolated burn holes that can cause uh, orange peeling, which is like this dimpling of the skin that's permanent. Or you're burning the laser deep enough because it's a CO2 form of laser. And sometimes these high intensity ultrasound lasers where they burn so deeply, they're burning subcutaneous fat. And so you get this uneven lumpiness of your face permanently, permanently. Or you burn your collagen so severely that you literally age your skin permanently. You do five years of aging in one application, maybe even worse in some people. And then there's the people who don't really have great immune systems. And so they're not healing like they should heal. And then they get these retraction scars or 
I mean, I get the emails. I'm talking to people whose lives is just are seemingly destroyed by it. And I try to encourage, I think we make progress in making recovery on their wounds. But yes, it is the most common procedure being done today. It is only burning the skin. It is going to most likely leave hypopigmentation, hyperpigmentation behind, it is most likely going to leave atrophy of your dermis behind. Yes, occasionally I've seen some pretty cool results where you burn the bejesus of the skin so badly that it kind of scarred over and it was almost like a tightening of acne scarring. You know what I mean? Like the scarring on top of the acne scarring made the acne scarring look better or the scarring somehow pulled the skin a little taut, more taut. But there's a reason why CO2 lasers have gone out of favor because they are uh, mostly a big disaster. Most people I talk to, and of course, I'm going to draw in these people, but most people I talk to regret their laser procedure. They spent thousands of dollars and all they did was make themselves older. So most laser procedures are a no. And I'm talking about the collagen generating ones. You know, they go in and you do your little fraxel and they want to do three series. And the first one, not so bad. The second one, oh, I'm not sure the outcome was what I was hoping. The third one, all of a sudden now you're left permanently scarred. And I just can't encourage you enough to do your research. Don't buy into, hey, this is the next latest and greatest. Oh my gosh, you've got to come get it. And where the greed comes in is these poor doctors are duped into believing that these lasers are rejuvenating. They invest a lot of money in the lasers. The lasers have a short lifespan because the next coolest rejuvenating laser that they have to have in their clinic to be up to date is three years away. So they got three years to get enough revenues out of this machine to pay for it. And they overcharge, they're overusing them and the results are just not good. So I'm going to close out on that. That is my top 10. Number 10, steroids. Number nine, scrubs. Number eight, retinols. Number seven, alpha hydroxy acid and Jesner peels and alpha hydroxy acid daily use. Number six, TCA and phenol peels. Number five, IPLs. Number four, retinoic acid. Number three, fillers. Number two, Botox. And number one, lasers. So if you can do your best to stay away from these procedures when you're trying to make yourself young and beautiful and get true age reversal, Trust me when I say you will make way more progress with a holistic medical strategy. So I hope you uh, take that to heart. As usual, you can write me at drben at osmosisbeauty.com with any questions you may have about your beauty routine, about your health, about how we can get you looking and feeling amazing as you go into uh, those, whatever decade, really, (laughs) I'm helping, uh, whatever decade needs my help, whatever person reaches out, I know they're following their inner voice. I'm, you know, that's why I think our success rate is so high, but also, you know, check me out on InstaLives, go by the website at osmosisbeauty.com. And, and try the skin quiz and see what that gets you. We do this really innovative inside out approach and the changes we're making to reverse aging are phenomenal. And I want you to participate in that with me because it's a, it's been a fun journey. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk next week. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ask Dr. Ben. Please leave a review if you can. And subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to get access to all of my upcoming episodes. My website is osmosisbeauty.com and you can find me on Facebook at Osmosis Beauty. You can also follow me on Instagram at osmosis underscore beauty. 
Thanks for listening. <laughs>